Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Okay, my name is Chris Dyer, and we had a small technical glitch there. I thought we were going to be changing the, the show to a manufacturing show, but I guess we're going to stay with what we know. So, uh, privilege to be your, your host here for the next hour, and we're going to have two fantastic guests for you. In case uh, this is the first time that you're you're tuning into the show, the Talent Talk radio show features a, a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So on this show, we really look to look at talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also look at talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent there has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show looks to explore those two areas. So my guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, consultants, coaches, uh, really the spectrum of of successful people in in the world of HR. So when I'm out at networking events or industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. In fact, my first guest is is an example of that, and we'll get to her in just a moment. But I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. So before I get to my first guest, I, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live today. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just uh, tweet us at, at peopleg 2 Use the hashtag at the end of your question there for uh, at Talent Talk, all one word. And my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. If you also have suggestions on uh, improvements to the show, uh, if you have guest ideas, send us on Twitter. If there are complaints, then send them by mail, and uh, we'll give you the address uh, you know, at some point. So, Anyways, uh, don't forget you can also listen to the show via a podcast on iTunes or Android, wherever you uh, pick up your podcast, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. Uh, we surpassed the 32,000 uh, listener mark on our podcast, so we have about 32,000 of you who are downloading uh, the podcast and listening during the week, and we really appreciate your support and you taking the time to, to listen when it's convenient for you. With that said, let's get today's show started. My uh, guests today include Susan Phelan. She's a founder and president of Academy Women, and Jean Howard, executive director of the Orange County Alliance for Children and Families. Uh, Jean will be joining me uh, later in the show, so now let's get to my first guest, Susan. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, for I know I know a little bit about you. Uh, Susan and I got the opportunity to meet up at the HR.com conference and uh, awards banquet up in uh, Vail, Colorado, I think back in April of this year, and uh, certainly uh, was impressed by you and the things that you're doing, but maybe you could give our audience a little bit uh, an update on uh, about you and uh, about your organization, Academy Women. Sure. Well, I founded Academy Women in 2003, and Academy Women is a nonprofit organization that serves women, military officers, active duty, and veterans. And essentially what we've built is a leadership community where we come together either in a live forum or a virtual forum, and uh, we incorporate expert 
advisors, we incorporate networking, we build in inspirational programs, and really empower the emerging leaders within the community to go on and do great things. Our programs have um, also expanded to include uh, veterans as well as military spouse because what we try to do is build communities that are nurturing and meaningful and uh, help members and participants achieve their goals. And what about you? What should people know about you and uh, what kind of what makes you tick? So I grew up traveling around the world as a military brat and really got to observe cultures and how they work and the strengths and, and um, positive attributes of different people. And then I went to a service academy where I was embedded in a very strong culture and uh, got to do some really great things. I traveled and uh, worked in foreign policy. I did acquisitions and uh, and got to appreciate the... Uh, the really kind of how our military is having an impact not only in our nation's defense but in, in just international policy. And then beyond that, I was in financial services for a while, and then I went into the nonprofit world and in academia. So I not only founded Academy Women, but I also work at Stanford Graduate School of Business where I um, run the online programs there. Great. Well, I know that... Uh you know, when I met you and you kind of heard about what you were doing with your, your organization, Academy Women, it was uh, certainly some parallels to some of the things I do with a, a charity I work with, but um, found some of the things that you had told me, some of the stories you would share to be, you know, really inspirational. So I was wondering if maybe you might share with us a favorite success story that's, that's kind of come out of the work that Academy Women does with, you know, maybe where a participant had a really successful outcome or met their professional, you know, challenges in, in a way that, you know, that, that people listening might identify with or find inspiration from? Sure. Well, we have stories all the time, but one of my favorites is a woman named Anita who was really a powerhouse in the military. She had served in Afghanistan and, and before that in Iraq and had earned several meritori- several ribbons and honors for the work she'd done and then got injured, got out, then but took some time off and and uh, worked with her family a little bit and then needed to get back into the workforce. And her self-confidence and her abilities and, and what she was able to do was just kind of the bottom of the barrel, and she felt like she wouldn't be good for really anything except for the fact that she knew how to type. And she came to us kind of with this really low self-esteem and um, through the various mentors that we have with our online mentoring program and the mentors that she met through our symposium, she not only realized that she had an incredible skill set, but she also had leadership experience and the ability to take a job way beyond what she had envisioned for herself. And sure enough, through the various programs that we ran her through and the advisors that we introduced her to, she prepared herself for an interview and submitted her resume and in the end got a job with one of the top consulting companies in the country doing uh, very high-level work with a salary that was about four times what she had anticipated getting and, you know, was completely changed in who she, who she was and then what she was able to contribute to the workforce. Well, that's a great story. I mean... It amazes me how when people come out of the military, the drastic change in their self-perception, they seem to be so confident, they seem to be so sure what they're doing when they're in that sort of very structured system. And as soon as they're out of that, 
you know, there's a lack of maybe support, a lack of programs, but also just that huge change for them seems to really impact a lot of those those uh, personnel kind of coming out of that situation, and they just they need something else to help get get them maybe channeling what they were doing really well in the you know in the military, but in the private sector now, and so it's really great that, that your organization is helping them do that. No, absolutely. It's it's really interesting how when you change your context or your culture, it, it really impacts your sense of what you're capable of doing. Yeah. So w- one of your other jobs that uh, is that you're the director of online leadership development programs um, through the Stanford uh, Graduate School of Business. So can you talk a little bit about what you do in this role and what time, uh, type of leadership development programs that are offered there? Okay, great. Well, what I do is I work with academics in the business school to take a lot of the learning that we're enabling in the classroom and make it available to communities who are outside the school or to program participants who are outside the school. So I've built a collection of over 350 cases, video cases, that are uh, essentially leaders talking about particular challenges that they faced and how they've dealt with them. And not only through their lessons learned um, in how they share it through the video, but also in best practices from research and uh, just anecdotal best practices from our leadership community, we then leave learners with a kind of a tool set of how to handle some of the most difficult challenges that they may face as leaders, whether it's in leading change and taking charge and difficult conversations or in kind of the day-to-day. The other piece I, I run is a Lead360 program, which is a leadership evaluation and action planning program where participants get a 360. In other words, they get feedback from supervisors, peers, and direct reports, that we uh, feed that back to them, and then we ina- we build a whole online learning uh, program that they engage with to work on the particular weaknesses or areas for development, as well as enhance some of the strengths that have been identified in the feedback that they've received from the 360 report. And then within that, we have learning modules, and we have cases that they have to grapple with so that in the end, after a 100-day action planning period, they emerge stronger and take a second 360 where they then compare their progress and can really measure any um, changes changes that they've been able to build into their own leadership. So, you know, it sounds like you're doing a lot of work with leaders across the spectrum. Uh, So what are one or two things that are kind of stuck with you that you've taken away, you know, from your time with these leaders that has really made an impact on your own leadership, uh, you know, skills? Well, I think the best leaders that I've observed have found the perfect balance between humility and self-confidence. And in in striking that balance, they've been able to inspire trust and uh, build confidence and, and really get people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do but are towards a greater goal or mission. Um, and I think that that's always sensitive to, to still be real and approachable to people, yet inspire trust and confidence by in emulating kind of those aspirational qualities that a leader has. The other piece I, I learned and have observed continually by the top leaders in the world or 
that they never stop learning. And that's just something that, you know, if you're on a long plane trip or you're um, just have any idle time, leaders are constantly reading, they're learning more, they're seeking knowledge, they're picking up the latest business case, and it's, it's just a, a never-ending process. It's like a skill that you continue to hone. Well, and that's something we've really seen here. I mean, the responses that we get from our guests uh, on a regular basis really talk about, really you know, point to their constant learning. Um, we're always getting fantastic book ideas from our guests. Um, and, and the fact that it's really, to be honest, it surprises when we started this radio show. We had no idea who, who would listen or if anyone would actually tune in and, um, you know, and enjoy the show. And I think that it's that idea of learning something new, picking up on what's happening that, you know, draws people here. It's, it's not for my, uh, my deep radio voice, which I, I don't have, but, um, you know, it's, it's for what's being exchanged and what's, what's happening. And I think you're absolutely right that the best leaders, you know, are doing that constant learning and not just learning, but they're actually using that information to, to change and to evolve and to become, uh, you know, better at what they're doing. Uh, and I, I think, I think that's what, you know, you were kind of getting at, right? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously with an organization you know, like the one that you have for Academy Women, you're, you want there to be a particular culture that surrounds it and maintains it or allows it you know, to evolve over time. So what is the culture that you've implemented when you, you know, first started the organization? And how have you seen that change and grow or even struggle? So the culture that I built with Academy Women was a culture of acceptance and inclusion and lack of judgment where women could come together in a community, share their excitement, share their fears, share the questions that they're sometimes afraid to ask in their normal professional environment where they're surrounded by a chain of command that is constantly evaluating them. And then through that open dialogue, that Socratic debate that would ensue from this open environment, you know, one would then leave empowered and inspired to achieve great things. And so, you know, that's the vision. That's what we continue to reinforce. But it's really interesting, especially with military culture, where we're bringing women together in a community. Oftentimes that's seen as kind of taboo because when women enter the military, they work very hard to be just like everybody else and to blend and not to not be different. And just by becoming a member or participating in one of our programs, they uh, must identify with the fact that they are a little bit different and they may have slightly different needs than the majority of their colleagues. And, you know, we, we get some friction from that and we get some criticism from that, but um, ultimately everybody sees the value and, um, and that's really where people can benefit most is within that community where they can, can really learn and, and be themselves. Right, right. That's very, very important. So, Maybe when you consider culture and success, how important is the alignment then of the culture to the continued success of the company? Well, I think the culture is critical because that is what is the community, essentially. Uh, repeatedly, we hear from our members that what makes Academy Women so powerful is the culture that we've built. You know, they come to a place and then 
automatically they have a different feeling about who they are and what they do. And they, they're asked to potentially act a little bit differently um, than they would in their normal professional environment. But in doing so, it really brings out these amazing qualities that in some cases they actually have to stifle. Um, and it's really what makes them unique. And there's this realization that happens and these aha moments of, wow, I have this this particular skill or this really unique quality, and I, I haven't even been leveraging it. And so what we find is a lot of women go back into their professional environments and embrace those qualities that they've been working so hard to, to hide and, and find themselves to be more successful as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's possible to start doing some of that process for our military men or women uh, you know, before they leave? You know, kind of a, a, in a transition type of a setting, uh, or do you think it really has to start? You know, once they're completely free of their obligations and and that kind of rigid type of an environment. Oh, I think it happens both um, active duty and after they leave the military, and and we work with both. We work with active duty as well as veterans, and uh, I think where it's most powerful is honestly when they're still active duty and they've worked so hard to kind of close off these these aspects of their personality that ultimately benefit the military in a in a really powerful way. Um, and then in in working through the transition process, that piece becomes critical because that's really what defines you as somebody different than you know your competition when you're when you're presenting yourself to a potential employer you need to differentiate yourself and for a community or for a person who's so used to to fitting in or not sticking out you know that those skills become absolutely essential and honing or really coming to terms with what's unique about that them how they can leverage that within the new organization and what impact they're going to make as a result is something that we spend a lot of time helping people to understand and to communicate. Right. Well, I asked you a similar question earlier, but I wonder if you have, you know, just in your own past experiences, if you maybe have someone or something that happened to you or, you know, someone who impacted you that might, uh, you know, really have a huge impact on, on who you are today or your, the leadership style you have today? Well, I think I'm probably similar to many other military members where we, I left the military very, very mission-focused. I want to make an impact on, you know, the world, and I want to do whatever the military asks of me, and, and I'm going to do the best at whatever job they give me. And I felt like in my first job as a financial, in the financial services, it became not only mission-focused, but I also had to do a little bit more of self-promotion, where I had to make people understand why I was different and what I was doing, and and I don't want to say brag, but really kind of talk about how I was going to help them or, or give them advice that they would follow and then continue to include in their own financial strategy. So um, the feedback that I got in my first job was really about, um, okay, so mission is nice, but you have to take care of yourself because in helping yourself, you're ultimately going to further your goals and further your organization's goals. Yeah, I, I really find a lot of... Uh you know, similarities in, in what you just said. I mean, it's, I, I, for a long time, I would, you know, be in a position to help somebody, and I wanted them to figure that out on their own. I just didn't want to be bragging or didn't want to come off as pushy or whatever, and 
you know, ultimately it took time to, to realize that, you know, people are usually pretty happy about or thankful that you know, you're, you can explain to them, you know, how you might be able to help or explain the things that you've done well in the past or why you might be the most qualified and, um, you know, and, and generally don't take it as you being braggy or pushy as long as you, you remember to shut up after a minute or two. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's a hard thing to do. It's it's like it's almost like you're taught your whole life to not brag and not be that way. And then as soon as you become an adult, if you're not doing that, then you're getting left behind. Um, Absolutely, and it's kind of that mixed message that, that society sends us. And I'm sure that there's some uh, even more powerful parts to that if we look at gender roles as well. Um, it's it's probably far. It, it, and I know it's far more. I mean, this is one of the the, the, the speakers. I forget where she was from. I want to say maybe she was Dutch, but I she could have been a Dane. I'm, I can't remember. But um, she talked about some of the differences, um, perceptions that women have to deal with, with being a strong woman or, you know, being confident or negotiating salaries or things like that, that are different challenges um, because of the, the way in which society may look at women versus men. And then I'm sure that with your clients, you're looking at, coaching them through those some of those things as well, which is a kind of a whole nother layer on top of everything else, right? Absolutely. I think women oftentimes find themselves in situations where they want to keep people happy mm-hmm. and in and really kind of build consensus and and not make any major waves and I think one major learning for myself was it's okay to have naysayers and it's okay to have people who are critical. But, you know, if you believe in who you are and what you're doing and that by defending yourself or defending your position, you're ultimately doing something for the greater good, whether it's for your organization or your career or for your family, that that is what is important much more than the one or two vocal naysayers or the one or two uh, people who feel like, uh, you know, potentially you're stepping out of place as a right. woman and how dare you. Right. But And, and I think you, you really nailed something in the head that, that, you know, from a very general perspective, women do want to be, you said, to be pleasers or to make everyone happy, right? That's a very, I don't know where that comes from, if that's cultural, if that's you know, nature, nurture, I don't know, I'm not a scientist there, so I won't get into that debate. But there's certainly that perspective far more than on the male side of keeping people happy or making people happy. And so you brought up that earlier point, you need to make sure that you're happy, right? You take care of yourself if you want to be successful and if you want to make sure that you're in position to continue to help your clients or to help your family or to help whoever it is that you feel like it's important to help. And that's probably something, a perspective that maybe people don't necessarily think about. Um, They're thinking about that short-term keeping everybody happy. And in long-term, that's not really sustainable if you're not taking care of yourself, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of women also suffer from the challenge of being seen as kind of the B word. And if they're standing up for themselves or if they're being really vocal or strong, that they want to avoid being seen as that that woman who is, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she's so ridiculous. And so, you know, sometimes it's okay to be that person as long as you're true to yourself and what you believe in. And ultimately, if you're doing the right thing, the organization will turn around and... Um, I, I just think that's a barrier that women have to address. Yeah. And I think the more that they address it, the less it'll become a problem over time. You know, I Absolutely. think it, it's, you know, the, the wheels of, what is it, the, is it, the wheels of the gears of change or the wheels of change, they move very slowly, but they move. And 
uh, we can certainly point back to progress you know over the last 50 years 100 years and it may not be moving as quickly as it should be or anybody wants it to be but if they continue to do that they could continue to be progress and change and you know uh, maybe different in perceptions um the, the one sort of um discouraging thing that i i remember learning from that speaker i mentioned what you and i both saw it uh, in valorhr.com well, she talked about how in Europe it was still a problem, and in Europe I kind of viewed it as being far more progressive in that area with um, jobs that women have in education and, and, and things like that. But they were still kind of having those same root problems that we're having here and they're having in the rest of the world. So it seems like there needs to be more. It's not just on on women to go out there and to, to push the issue. It's also maybe on education, and it's on... Uh, companies and, and and their cultures to to embrace that change or to embrace that uh, you know the way it should be as opposed to the way it really is. Oh, absolutely! It was really funny. I did some work with the French Air Force, and they essentially highly encouraged me to wear my skirt as part of the uniform rather than <laughs> our standard pants. And then even here in Silicon Valley, a very progressive area, there's a company that's run by a, a Singapore family, and they highly encourage their women employees to wear dresses or wear skirts and wear makeup. And so I, I think it still exists, absolutely, and there are organizations and, um, and groups that are more progressive, and, and they're dictating from the upper leadership a culture that is more inclusive and more accepting and more egalitarian. And I think those are the trendsetters, and those are the organizations that are going to lead the way for the future. Yeah, yeah. And there's always that you know issue of you can can say we be more egalitarian, we can say we want to do this, but you know what are those kind of base perceptions? And I'm not sure how we we get past this, but like you said, when when a woman act, acts in a particular way, do they get viewed as being, you know, uh, the witch with a B, uh, as opposed to the man who just it's just you know it's accepted, and. Um, you know, I am not sure how we get past that, but that's going to be an important, I think, evolution of our society uh, if we want to continue to have um, our best and our brightest, regardless of their gender, leading us into the next, you know, kind of realm for for science, for business, for education, for politics, whatever it may be. Um, it, it certainly sounds like Academy Women is is you know, do, doing its its part there to to take those great leaders that we've already trained in, and uh, developed in the military to to push them in into the private sector. Um, Absolutely. So you know, kind of getting back into to leadership development um, uh, in, in that whole perspective. What do you offer to those who you work with? You know, kind of your direct reports or the maybe simply the people you influence. Uh, about what it means to be a leader. You know, you know, how do you challenge others to kind of grow in their own leadership abilities within your own organization? So within my organization, I kind of fall back on trying to inspire people either towards uh, the mission. So for Academy Women, we're very mission-driven, and we're fueled by the stories like the one I shared with you where we're having an impact, a direct impact on people's lives and and their well-being. And so having that fuel, to me, becomes my leadership tool where I remind people of how their work is enabling that impact 
And I, I feel like that is kind of my style, even at the most basic level, where if somebody is having a hard time with a particular task, I remind them that they're capable of doing it, and even though it may not, the way they're doing it may not look like the person next to them, if they achieve the, the final result, that's what matters. And so really trying to find that inspiration or what motivates them and giving them the self-confidence to to continue working towards the end is, is kind of my strategy. And I, I guess for better or worse, I'm, I'm, I'm also very open to feedback. And so I, I build in uh, processes that continually solicit input and solicit uh, feedback and idea sharing and, um, and new ways of doing things. Uh, that's really, really good. And, and I know you mentioned earlier about uh, sort of that ongoing uh, uh, learning that you're doing. What um, what books are you reading right now that you might sh- share with us, uh, you know, in your ongoing quest to, to learn more? So I have to be honest. The book I'm reading right now is Story of the World, and it's by Susan Weiss Bauer. And even though it's not the uh, tagged as a leadership book, I see it very much as a leadership book because it talks about trends through history. Well, it essentially tells the story of the world and through the various either dynasties or monarchies or uh, presidencies or leadership regimes, uh, what works and what doesn't. And it's interesting to see at a global scale and even historical perspective of how uh, human society evolves and how uh, leadership styles either come and go and which ones seem to work and which ones don't seem to work, which ones seem to last beyond the leader and which ones seem to fail as soon as that leader passes. So I, I really enjoy it because it not only gives me context to my own culture and our, our world, but also perspective into just human nature. Oh, it sounds like a fascinating book and a great topic for, for all the things that we talked about today. Um, that's about all the time we have, so I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, sharing with us uh, your perspectives and about your organization, Academy Women. H- how can people reach out to you and, and learn more if, if they're interested? So the website for Academy Women is www.academywomen.org. We also run a mentor program for all veterans, military spouse, and military and veteran women, and that's at ementorprogram.org. So I look forward to hearing from you. And then, of course, my contact information is available through those websites as well. Wonderful. Well, Susan, thank you again for, for being our guest, and uh, we look forward to having you back at some point. Thanks, Chris. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Gene Howard is coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. 
Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting talenttalkradio.com. And you can also go to octalkradio.net and click on the Shows tab and, of course, click on uh, Talent Talk. So we're coming up on our year anniversary. I don't know if uh, Mike, my producer, has planned a party for us or... um, well, have streamers or something when we come in. I don't know, but we're getting there. And we have already amassed, as we mentioned before, over 32,000 people who are uh, downloading the, the show every uh, week, and we really appreciate your support. So uh, my next guest is uh, Jean Howard, the Executive Director of the Orange County Alliance for Children and Families. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for him by sending them to at PeopleG2 and using that hashtag TalentTalk, all one word. Uh, so, Gene, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Gene uh, had a little bit of a, uh adventure getting here, but we uh, he made it uh, just in time. His live radio was always interesting and a little nerve-wracking at the same time, but uh, we're glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, of course, your work with the uh, Orange County Alliance uh, for Children and Families. Sure, be happy to. Uh, my background has always been working in the area of um, abused and neglected children, foster children. I uh, spent a number of years actually working in a residential treatment facility with these kids, and then it kind of just became my passion. And um, mm-hmm. so I spent the rest of my life working in a variety of different um, areas, both in the state government and county government and nonprofit organizations in an effort to try to make life better for for these kids. And uh, my current uh, piece of work is with the Orange County Alliance for Children and Families. And it is a consortium of 14 nonprofit agencies in Orange County that work with literally thousands of foster children each day. And this is the first time in uh, since I've been here 19, since 1985 where all of these um, nonprofit agencies have actually gotten together and made a conscious effort to, as a group, try to improve the lives for kids in this community. And we've always done it individually, and everybody does great work individually, but this is a very different concept for us, and we're all trying to join resources and to work collaboratively to uh, really affect the bigger picture for abused and neglected kids in this county. Well, that, that sounds like a fantastic initiative. I mean, I imagine there's overlap and there's things that one of you might know and the other one needs to know. And there's all this information and these things and resources and problems uh, that you can address as, together as a group. And I, I'm sure that you're, you know, with the different counterparts within government and the community, being able to approach people, too, as well as a consortium as opposed to a single group can really have a lot of power. Yeah, Chris, you hit it right on the head, that collectively we can create a lot more value than we can even individually. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so much intersection, so many things we can learn from each other, so many ways that we can partner together, so many opportunities to influence um, county government and state government uh, to have better policies on behalf of these kids. And so we've we've really kind of upped the the game here by doing this. Right, right. Well, and and knowing that you were coming on... uh, uh, to the show today, it certainly um, 
was something that was near and dear to my heart because uh, all three of my children are adopted. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah, um, not locally. We went to Russia, but I mean, we. Well, but still, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, uh, and and Paul as well, right? He's got his our, our producer's got a connection there. So, yeah, we've uh, you know it, it certainly uh, seemed like a good fit. So, I know you have over forty years of working with abused and, and neglected children. So, there's definitely something that takes dedication and commitment and heart because it can be draining. It can be some of the stories and things can be, you know, really difficult. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what it is that it's been like to to lead organizations like, you know, Orangewood Children Foundation or the Orange County Social Services Agency or Alliance for Children. What what is it like kind of being in that leadership position, dealing with that, that kind of work? Well, it is. There are times, of course, when you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders because you're working with these kids and with their families, and and a lot of times it doesn't work out or doesn't work out as well as you would like it to. Mm-hmm. So that that can be a bit overwhelming at times. But I've always looked at it as the looking at the kids that we help and the difference we make in their lives. And in my experience, we've had remarkable transformations of these kids who you wouldn't think would have a chance to be successful and yet um, we've seen kids go to Harvard, we've seen kids go to Cambridge, we've seen kids get Fulbright scholarships. I mean, All we've really needed to do for these kids is kind of level the playing field for them because they come in, as you know, I mean both of you have experience with adopted children and so they come with some backgrounds that sometimes can be very difficult and demanding and, and sometimes you think, well, you know, how could they ever overcome that? But their resiliency is so amazing and mm-hmm. so if we simply provide the same kind of resource that they would get if they were in a healthy, happy, natural family, these kids will literally just blow the doors off of of any other kids in the community, honestly. Right. So obviously it takes a particular skill set and talent to work with with these organizations. Can you talk a little bit about how you recruit the best talent in your organizations? I mean, how do you find the, the... the people that are, I'm sure you can find people that are passionate about this, but you also need people who are very good at what they do, right? Yeah. Uh, that can be really effective because I'm sure you have limited dollars, you have limited right. time, you have more clients than you can probably serve. So how do you find the right mix there? Well, I think the passion is the first very important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I certainly have interviewed hundreds of potential staff for a variety of different positions over the years, and I really look to be sure that that passion is there to start with because if you don't have that, as you said earlier, working in this field can be very demanding, it can be very taxing, and, and you need that passion to overcome it. But then um, beyond that, we we in, in our field experience the same kinds of challenges that any hiring entity does in trying to find individuals who have, um, have the skill set that's necessary at the level that's necessary to be able to do the job well. And you're right. We don't have an enormous amount of resources, so we need to use all of those very, very carefully. And, and what I found, actually, um, in my work is interviewing has been one of my worst ways to find the proper candidates. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> one, <laughs> I've had made so many mistakes in that, and I've actually um, come to use some tools that assess a, um, a, a candidate's um, particular uh, skills and abilities and inclinations and match it up with the particular um, inclinations and skills and abilities that are necessary for that particular job. And that's actually worked very, very well. And there's a variety of different um, uh, 
vehicles out there for doing that, but mm-hmm. but I found that um, that that gives me a better result than simply interviewing alone. Yeah, because whether or not you get along with someone or like them, those are those are important things. They're nice right. things, but. You know, I can't tell you how many times I know people interview someone and they got along with them, really won the interview, and then they never talked to them again. They're so disconnected from them in the organization, right? So how important right. was it they liked them? It wasn't important at all. Right, exactly. Um, you know, exactly. whether or not they could do the job really well, whether or not they had the credentials, the background, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think people put too much emphasis on whether or not it's someone who they'd want to have a beer with. A- absolutely. You know? you know, and it's interesting. I found that um, when I was using these particular tools that did did match up different skills and abilities with the requirements of the job, and we would the, the tool would tell you, you know, not to necessarily not hire this person, but be aware that this isn't a particularly good fit in this particular area, and that's something right. you might want to, you know, be careful of and deal with. And going and then having performance issues with the particular individual, going back and reviewing that material, that was exactly what the material identified as an area you really need to be conscious of right. and really be careful about. So I became pretty convinced that that's an, an excellent addition to the interviewing process. Yeah, and we've used things like the disk profile and strengths right. finders, and there's some really great ones out there that can help you. I think the biggest challenge that companies have that they don't, or organizations have that they don't realize so you have to take the time to properly identify what that position is going to need and what's the right person. And that is like, that is the hardest thing to do. Exactly. I think many times that is the reason why companies do not have the right people in place. It's not from a lack of trying. It's not from a lack of people being out there. That are, it's that you don't really understand who you really need. Exactly. You have to have the discipline to be willing to examine that position and not just from a um, activities perspective, but also the the other different softer skills that are required for that for success in that particular position. And we don't do that. We write up a job description, we think it captures it all, mm-hmm. and then we move forward. So some of these tools that you just mentioned give you an opportunity to do some more in-depth work in that area and produce much better results. So one of the big things that we talk about on this show a lot is culture, uh, really feeling like it's such a vital part of any organization or company, and I, my own personal view is that most people have a completely overinflated view of how good their culture is. <laughs> they think that if you know their, their employees are not outside riding or picketing that they have a good culture, right? And um, it's pretty far from that. But it, it, what do you... What is the culture like at your at the Alliance for, for Children and Families now, and, and what do you think that kind of makes it continue to function and do the job that it needs to do in you know being a part of protecting children and, and families in need? Well, I think at the Alliance, it's a very unique organizational structure because we don't. I'm the only staff person at this point for that, but right. we have a culture among the CEOs. It's all CEOs of these right, nonprofit the groups, organizations, right. and so, um, and our culture is incredibly collegial. And I, I was very surprised to to see that really because organization each organization of course has their own mission and they have to fulfill that mission and i was i was wondering could we bring it together could everybody kind of come to the table and put those aside looking at the bigger picture and looking at the 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 larger good that we could right. achieve and it's amazing how they've been able to do that and i think that stems from what you were talking about earlier is the passion i mean 
you don't get into this work typically if you don't really care about these kids and you don't mm-hmm. really want to make things better. So if we share that passion, uh, I think it makes it much easier for all of us to put aside our individual goals and objectives and really commit to the larger cause. Because, well, you know, from a for lack of a better word, I'm sure that they're all competitors at some level, right? right. I mean, they're no, competing right. for grants that's and for exactly dollars. Right. They're even that's competing exactly for right. clients like, to exactly be able to be right. a servicing one. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting if they can come together and, and really work together and share and collaborate when they for the better good, right? Yeah, to ensure exactly. that whoever is helping those kids or those families can do the best job they it's, can. It's really been amazing, and it it's really has allowed us to do a lot more and achieve a lot in a very short period of time. Are there other factors you think that uh, are really important to that group of people being to be successful, kind of attributes or things that they need to do? To, to really make sure that that happens? Yeah, I think I think what, what we as an organization have to do is be very planful about what we're doing. I mean, there's a thousand different things we could do. So it becomes a matter of really identifying the areas that have the maximum impact. Where can we get the best bang for our buck, so to speak, and really focusing our efforts on that. And so it takes careful planning and really putting together a strategy to approach this in a way that makes the best use of some really limited resources. Right. So, you know, kind of being a leader with several different organizations, how do you then, if someone asks you to define success, what, what do you think that means then? Well, success, I think, comes on a whole variety of different levels. I mean, clearly you would look to how successful are you in helping these kids and families get their lives back together. And and that's got to be kind of your uppermost um, in your mind of what you're going to do. But success also comes in having an organization where your employees feel fulfilled and where they're able to learn and move forward and you develop talent. And you, I get such satisfaction out of staff who have worked for me in a variety of different organizations who are now, um, you know, directors of their own agencies Mm -hmm. or are assistant directors of agencies or program managers because I know that somehow I did my job to help contribute to their growth and development so that they could go on to be, um, you know, to to have their careers um, excel. And then I think there's also how are we successful in the community? How are we at helping the community understand this issue and become engaged in it and help deal with it? If all we do is serve our clients, um, we're never going to have as much impact as we could by really engaging the rest of the community in the work that we do. So I look at a multiple level of success if you you know kind of look back uh, maybe at the beginning of your career or even at the you know early on in life is there a particular person that you might uh, point to and say you know that person really had a big impact on who I am today or the leader that I am today well there were multiple individuals and I don't think any of us get to the positions where we're in leadership roles without folks helping us along the mm-hmm. way and um, I can remember very vividly when I was in Arizona uh, I was where I was first working in this field and um, I was in county government there and the um, director of the agency 
which was a very large agency. We had 5,000 staff. We had a $900 million a year budget. And um, this, the director took an interest in me and said, you know, I think you've got something here and I really want to, you know, help you move into additional positions and see, you know, where your career might go. And I was, I was really young and I thought, God, this is amazing, a real opportunity. And had she not done that, I'm not sure that I would be where I am today. So I think we all have folks like that in our background. Yeah, you could have ended up in another area another job uh, right i could have been doing all sorts of different things and never really progressed at all but um, she was there to kind of mentor me and pull me along so so kind of get in that mentoring do you feel like there was maybe a particular skill that you weren't very good at to start with (laughs) but now maybe is really important to what you do every day there were a lot of skills i wasn't (laughs) very good at um I think probably the biggest skill that I learned, which has served me well um, to today, is the ability to work with a variety of different kinds of individuals and to bring them together around a common cause. And I found that you know, no matter where I've been, that's really been a part of the work that I've been doing. If mm-hmm. I've been in, you know, a smaller nonprofit agency, you know, it's a board of directors. If I've been in a county government, it's bringing the different governmental agencies together to work together. In my current position with the alliance, it's bringing all of the uh, 14 nonprofit organizations together to to work towards a common goal. So that was a that was a big learning experience for me and something that served me very well. One of the things that we notice about our guests is they they tend to be constantly learning, looking for new things uh, to improve themselves and their organizations. So wondering if there's a particular book you might be reading right now or have just finished up that you might share with us. <laughs> Actually, uh, there is one I'm reading right now. It's very interesting. Um, it's uh, Governance as uh, Leadership. And it really kind of turns on its head our traditional views of how boards of directors of nonprofit organizations can be productive and successful. And it moves away from some of the tenets of the past where there was a much more emphasis on accountability, fiduciary responsibility, um, things that were very routinized and and not really taking advantage of the creative abilities of the board members that we bring together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we recruit the best and the brightest, and then we say, okay, and you need to look at the audit, and you need to you know do this you know strategic <laughs> plan thing. Oh yeah, we don't take advantage of of what they can bring to the table. And this book really talks about how to do that in a way that um, that you will expand your governance in into areas that will make a much bigger difference. Well, I really appreciate you being here today and, and sharing uh, with our, our audience uh, about your organization and the great work that you're doing in the community. Uh, if people uh, need to get a hold of you or are interested in learning more or possibly getting involved or donating or whatever it may be, uh, how, how can they reach out to the Orange County Alliance for Children and Families? Well, we're so new, we don't even have a website yet. Okay. So that's really that's really scary. But um, let me give you my phone number. And, All right. and I would love to hear from people. It's um, 714-310-0521. And if anybody knows a website developer out there that wants to do a little charitable work, give me a call. <laughs> and do you have a web address already secured? Yes, it's um, theorangecountyalliance.org. Okay. And at some point... If- Someone listen to the podcast in the future that you will your website will be up. It so will be. It will they be. can look you up that way. Right. 
Well, fantastic. I, I'm sure you'll find someone out there who can do a little uh, uh, charitable work for you on your, on your website. And uh, either that or you can pull out, uh, there's some good good WordPress templates out there. So, uh, Gene, again, then, again, thank you so much for being our guest. And uh, we'd love to get updates from you and, and uh, continue to see how the organization's doing. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks a lot. Uh, that's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, uh, Susan Phelan and Gene Howard. Tune in next week at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to hear uh, Kelly Dingy. Is that right? Am I Dingy? Okay, I'm saying it right. And uh, Nicholas Felurus. I think I messed that one up. It looks Greek. So I'm sure my Greek friends are going to get very angry with me. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2, right here on OCTalkRadio.net.